Our guest this weekend is a pastor, a podcaster, and an author. And I have to tell you, I, I really care deeply about where he's doing ministry now. He's the lead teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. And it's interesting, he's a young man, about the same age I was when I first went to Willow Creek years and years ago, and God used it to make such a difference in my life. And it's exciting to see a new generation of leadership taking that ministry forward for the kingdom of God. And, and I'm really excited to have a relationship with him, and I'm excited to have him back. This is his second time as a part of our Unforgettable series, and I know you're gonna love it. Would you give a warm, warm welcome to Steve Carter? Well, good morning, Northridge. It's an honor to be here with you. I know we got Brighton watching and Gross Eel watching, everyone else online. I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate your church. Um, I, I gotta tell you, Pastor Brad, at just some pivotal moments in my own journey, has called at the right time. And I want you to know the kind of pastor that you have, uh, someone who reaches out someone who mentors, someone who coaches. Um, you are really, really blessed uh, to have Pastor Brad. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Also, such incredible things are happening here. I, I, I can't stop but just, just celebrate. 311 baptisms a couple of weeks ago. Come on, Northridge. I love that, well done. But for me, uh, anytime I get an invitation to come to Northridge, I, I say yes, because this is God's country. I, I know you have other outside speakers come in. You know, JR from Atlanta, great teacher, loved last weekend's message. But let's just be honest. How many people come back here who have a love for the University of Michigan like I do? All right, I'm telling you, my email, my email, I'm public with it, goblue at willowcreek.org. That is the truth, all right? This is an amazing, amazing area. This is gonna be a beautiful season. Um, if you are a Michigan State fan, I want you to know you are welcome here. You're welcome here. If you're an Ohio State fan and you're here, feel free. You can come sit right here because I got a lot of preaching of Jesus for you, all right? But you're welcome here too. But in all seriousness, uh, it's an honor to be here, and I can't wait to just to kind of share with you a message that God's put on my heart. It's something that's been really unforgettable. Last week, Pastor JR, he, he spoke in these amazing props of balloons and how we think about God's love. Sometimes we just have to think that we gotta keep this balloon up. I, I wanna use another picture for us today. And I live in the city of Chicago, a little outside of it, and uh, if you've ever driven in the city of Chicago uh, in the spring or summer, you know it's spring or summer when uh, the orange barrels are in full bloom. I mean, when you see cones, you know it's spring and summer. And when you only have like three months to take care of all of construction, uh, it just makes life miserable driving. Road rage is off the charts. Uh, recently I was driving and it was a little pothole like this and as I was driving over it, I, I felt it and the front right tire uh, just started to go flat. I pulled over and I was like, oh man. And I, I had learned that, you know, the city of Chicago has been trying to take this whole thing a little bit more serious 
You might not know this, uh, but the city of Chicago, if you went on, on Google and you looked, city of Chicago pothole tracker, they actually basically have a pothole tracker. Uh, it looks like this, it, it's incredible. So, and this is legitimate, straight off the internet. They tell you how many and where they are working on potholes. And just so you know, from January 1st, 2018 to the end of March, do you know how many potholes the city of Chicago has filled in? Anyone wanna guess? Okay, 190,000. Yeah, 190,000. Man, I'm telling you, it's like just driving and getting flat tire after flat tire. But here's the problem, two years ago, uh, if they don't take care of these potholes, those potholes can turn into sinkholes. And what we saw was a couple cars just end up going straight into the water, I mean, in, into the, the ground. A couple of people were in them, and they had to be like rescued and taken to the hospital. Now, what I want you to understand is this. When the city of Chicago goes out to, to look at some of these potholes, sometimes they can say, oh, this is just weather inclement. Like just cold, freezing water ended up spreading out, kind of stretching the asphalt, creating this pothole. All we need to do, add a little bit of kind of more asphalt and concrete, we're good to go, right? It's kind of like you someday, when someone cuts you off, but you've had some good time with Jesus in the morning, you're listening to your worship music, they cut you off, and you're like, I just got some grace. It's all right, you cut me off again, it's okay. You, you've done time with Jesus, maybe you listening to the sermon from the past weekend, and you're on Facebook, and someone just said whatever they, they wanted to on Facebook, and you're like, it's okay. I don't need to like it, I don't need to comment on it, I don't need to get angry, it's okay. But there are these other times when the city of Chicago, they, they go out and they look at these potholes and they realize there's something happening beneath the surface. They're seeing that there's pipes. And this isn't about inclement weather. But there are some pipes that are leaking and oftentimes it's sewage. And what's happening underneath the surface is eroding the ground in such a way that it's creating this sinkhole. And not just a little bit of asphalt, not just a little bit of grace is gonna cover this. Actually, there's some work that needs to be done. And this is what I wanna talk about because the truth is we all have some potholes in our story. And if they do not go ad addressed, they can quickly become sinkholes. And when we have sinkholes in our story, it creates relational drama, it creates conflict with God, conflict with others, conflict with ourselves, and we find ourselves just kind of entering into a downward spiral of just brokenness, sadness, and despair. And what I wanna teach you is how you can address what I call the thing beneath the thing. All right, say that with me. The thing beneath the thing. All right, say it one more time, a little bit louder. The thing beneath the thing. And here's my hope. My hope is if you're with your family, you're with your spouse, you're with someone that you hope someday will be your spouse, that you will actually have conversations with them when things get difficult, that you'll be like, hey, wait, 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 wait. What's the thing beneath the thing? Seriously, seriously, what's the thing beneath the thing? That's like, that's like a pothole, just put some grace on it. But that, that's like a sinkhole. Let's talk about that, let's talk about that. 
And I want you to understand that when you can begin to talk about this, you can experience God's healing. And when you can experience God's healing, you can understand how God doesn't want us to walk around with potholes and sinkholes, but God wants us to be whole and holy. And I've been reading the book of 1 Peter a lot lately. It's kind of been my book in this season. Maybe it's because Peter's like every one of us. There are times where he, his eyes are fixated on Jesus, and then there's other times where his eyes are just not. There's times where he's super excited about Jesus, and other times he's more in his own strength. There's times where God just rescues him and gives him the spirit, and he's bold, and there's times where he's just not. And I think every one of us can, in this room and watching online, can just experience that and understand that. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter writes that I think he begins to articulate how we must get to the thing beneath the thing. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Peter's writing to a whole bunch of people who are kind of dispersed all throughout the ancient Near East. They're experiencing suffering, persecution, trials. Maybe some of you today are experiencing that. And he's trying to remind them who you're still called to be in the face of adversity, in the face of struggle and strife, and how this can be an opportunity for God to shine and heal and work through you. He says this in verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So Peter's saying this, hey, remember, do not allow yourself to use any circumstance or situation to dictate how you act, think, or feel. Do not allow any circumstance or situation to cause you to drift from Jesus. No, do not live ignorant like you once did, but still fight with every choice, every decision to be holy. Now holy was a beautiful Old Testament word. It meant to live a life that was set apart. It meant to live a life on mission. It meant to live a life consecrated. It meant to live a life for a purpose, for a reason, a life with a vision, to be holy. And here's what Peter's saying. To be holy in all you do, in every decision, in every choice, to live a life consecrated for Christ. But here's what gets me. Here's what really gets me. Is I, throughout my day, I imagine throughout your day, there are times where it's just so easy to live lives that are unholy. To revert back to the ignorant ways. To get frustrated. And I started to think about, man, what is it that causes us to drift from holiness, to drift from walking close with Jesus, to make decisions that are unholy. 
And this is what got me to understand the thing beneath the thing. Now, this is an acronym, all right? And what you're gonna begin to see is that these words kind of connect, but what I want you to understand is this. For us to make choices that are unholy, we first tend to get triggered, all right? We get triggered. And when we get triggered, something happens. Like I said, somebody cut us off, and it triggers us. Somebody at our workplace or in our family talks down to us. Somebody on Facebook begins to speak their opinion. Here's the thing, I used to wanna be able to have that kind of superhero gift where I could read people's minds, and then someone invented Facebook. And I realized, I don't need that gift anymore. And I just get on Facebook and I can just see. And all of a sudden I watch people and then they get triggered. And the question is, when you get triggered, where do you go? When you get triggered, what do you do? When you get triggered, how do you respond? And here's what I need you to understand is when you get triggered, and every one of us gets triggered multiple times a day, that's what it means to be human, to get triggered. And when you get triggered, the question is, where do you go? And Peter says, hey, be holy in all you do. Be holy in all you do. Don't be ignorant like you once were. Be sober-minded. Be on alert. Live for Jesus. When you get triggered, where do you go? I wanna tell you that there are four places that most people tend to go. When they get triggered first and foremost, most people tend to go into hiding. They go into hiding. And this takes us back to the garden. In Genesis chapter three, when you got this snake who's just so crafty and he begins to kind of tempt Eve and begins to say, hey, God's holding back on you. Take this. And he's basically inviting her to eat from this fruit that God had told Eve and Adam not to eat of, but Satan, the enemy, the devil, it's just tempting. And when the woman sees that it's desirable and pleasing to the eye, and she can gain wisdom from it, she thinks. She takes some and she eats it, and then her husband, she passes it over and he goes, free food, and he eats, and then something happens. Like all of a sudden, they, they realize that they're naked. The woman looks down, she goes, I'm naked, that's so uncool. And the guy's like, you're naked, that's so cool. <laughs> and they feel this sense of like shame. It's the first time shame enters the world. And they feel it and they try to cover it up. And the scriptures say they go and they like take figs and they make clothes in it and, and they, they cover themselves up. But it doesn't, Take away the feeling. And then they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they go and they hide. It's the first game of hide and seek ever. And they find themselves just hiding. I remember when I was a, a, a junior high pastor, uh, one of the things that we'd always love to play was the game hide and seek. And what's amazing is whenever you ask students, hey, who wants to play hide and seek? Hands go up. And then says, who wants to hide? Every hand goes up. Nobody wants to be the person that has to go seek out those that are hiding. 
Everybody wants to be the person who goes and hide. Because I think that's how we feel most familiar and human, is we're good at hiding. I remember when I was playing, uh, we had about 30 kids in our junior high ministry. And we basically had an all-nighter at our church. And so we basically just kind of hung out, played some games, and then some of the kids said, let's play hide and seek in the building. I said, that's great. And so I said, I'll be the one who seeks. You guys go and hide. I knew that building. I'd grown up in that building. And so I, I start praying and counting. And uh, in the first like five minutes, I've picked off 29 of the 30 kids. And then all of a sudden, these junior high girls come to me and they're like, where's Tony? We can't find Tony, where's Tony? And I'm like, oh yeah, where's Tony? Now, Tony was like four foot two, seventh grader with man voice. If you saw him, he was like, hey, what's up, I'm Tony. I'm like, how do you have that voice with that body? That's insane. And so I couldn't find him. And then I started to think, where could he be? And so I walked into the sanctuary, and as I walked in the sanctuary, I heard, oh, buh, 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 buh. I said, that's weird. I get closer and closer to the stage, and I'm like, oh, buh, 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 buh. I feel like a squirrel got caught in the air conditioning unit. I get close to the stage, I get up on stage, and all of a sudden, I, I walk up to the baptismal, and there's Tony inside the baptismal with a straw. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Get out of there, that is holy water. Like, what are you doing? I'm gonna baptize you again. But here's the thing, we are good at hiding. We all have places that we go when we get triggered to hide. For some of us, we go straight to the refrigerator and it's another bowl of ice cream. And we eat our feelings to soothe that angst. For some of us, it's we go to the store and we buy stuff. And we might not even have the money to do it, but we put it on credit. And we just buy it. Because we wanna take away that feeling, that angst, that somebody just did something to us, and you know what, we just gotta escape that feeling. For some of us, it's some sense of prescription, some narcotic, some alcohol, maybe two more glasses of wine that we needed. For some, it's pornography. For some of us, it's more socially acceptable and it's more work. Just gotta do one more trip. I can do one more business deal. For some of us, it's just kind of going on social media and just disconnecting from our family. The truth is, we all hide. And if you don't get curious about this, friends, that little pothole's gonna become a sinkhole and it's gonna really evade your opportunity to have profound relationships in your family and with God. But where do you go to hide? And every one of us has places. You gotta be aware of it if you wanna to get to the thing beneath the thing. Peter even writes, he says, therefore, rid yourselves, chapter two, verse one, of all malice and all deceit. Malice is like an old school word of like, no more evil. Rid yourself of no more 
evil, no more sin, no more places that you would hide from the presence of God. Do whatever it takes to get it out of your life. And friends, the thing beneath the thing, you have to understand that there are certain people, certain kinds of conversations, certain situations that are gonna trigger you. And it's going to push you to want to run and hide. And for many of us, it will be into sin. And please be aware of it and don't do it. The second place that most people tend to go when they get triggered is they go into insecurity. Insecurity. And when you see what Peter writes, he says, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit. But then look at the next word he says, hypocrisy. Rid yourself of all hypocrisy. Hypocrisy was a term in Greek. It was a, an acting term. See, what they would do is they would have these beautiful stages, 20,000 person seat amphitheaters, and these stages where these actors, who are known as these hypocrites, they would come up and they would have these bags, and inside these bags would be different masks, and they put on a mask. And then they would, underneath the mask, have a different voice. And then they would switch out and put on a different mask. And they would be performing. And here's what happens, is when you get triggered, oftentimes we become somebody else. You ever had this happen? Or you find yourselves going, what just happened to dad? Something just exploded within him. That does not sound like mom at all. Or what just happened to you? And what ends up taking place is when people get triggered, anger, rage, frustration, it just rises up. And all of a sudden, we put on these masks. And the typical masks that most people end up putting on are masks of performing. Masks of pleasing, masks of perfecting, or a mask of pretending. And I think when you get triggered, maybe for some of us, you almost have to like perform and go, ah, I got this, I'll take care of this. You know what, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, ah, I'm just getting so angry. Or for some of us, you're just gonna pretend. It doesn't really matter. And you're just gonna stuff it within. Just stuff it down. Or you're just gonna try and please. Just gonna, just gonna, just trying to make everybody else happy. Or you're gonna get to a place of perfection and you're gonna like, I gotta make everything right. You know, you even look at the word OCD and you go, that's even not right. It should be CDO, you know, like just get so irritated. And all of a sudden you find yourselves just getting amped up. And, and, and friends, you have to be aware of this. Because I think what ends up happening is when someone kind of gets close to that pothole and all of a sudden it's not just a pothole, it's a sinkhole and it does something in you and you power up or you totally just power down and just shut down like a robot or you just pretend or you just please, you miss a moment. And the thing beneath the thing forces us to make a decision, when we get triggered, where are we gonna go? Are you gonna go into insecurity? Are you gonna go into hiding? Here's the thing too, is sometimes I think we take ourselves way too seriously. We take ourselves way too seriously. 
I, I, was, I, I work often with the, the Chicago Bears, and uh, they need a lot of help. Pray for them. And, um, and I, I was with a, a few of them for dinner. We're talking about Jesus, talking about faith. It was awesome. And uh, the server comes by, and she looks at me, and she goes, hey, are you on television? I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. I'm like, I'm with these guys who are all on television every Sunday. And I, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, I'm not really on television. And then one of the bears goes, yeah, he is. And I'm like, what? He's like, it's Joel Osteen. <laughs> and I, I literally spit out my food, like laughing so hard. I was like, oh, oh, really? And like, here's the deal. What do, you, what do I say in that moment? What do I say? That, except that's hilarious. Well done, that's great. But people take themselves so seriously and take things so personally that they're like, oh, well, you think you're funny. Like, maybe you should win more than four games next year. You know what I mean? Like, you, you end up like, all of a sudden, right? You, you start going back at people. And the truth is, don't take yourself so seriously. Just be someone who lives deep with Jesus. Who, who, who tries to love people well. And we had a great laugh about that. I, I tell you, when you get triggered, you have a decision. You're either gonna choose holiness or you're gonna create more holes in your life. And more that I want for you, Northridge, is to be people who are holy. The third place that most people tend to go is when they get triggered, they tell narratives. False narratives. And they make up stories. Are you one of those people? It's just easy for you to make up a story about a specific person, a specific group of people. And, it, and this is what happens. And you look at kind of what's happening in our world today. You get on the news and you just go, man, there are just false narratives after false narratives after false narratives. And we've almost lost the ability to see the image of God in another. And when you can't see the image of God in another, then you stop to see what makes you similar and all of a sudden you create narratives about the other person. And Peter says this, he goes, man, therefore rid yourself of all malice and all evil. And then he says, rid yourself of all hypocrisy. And then he says, rid yourself of all envy and slander. All right, envy is one of the most dangerous of diseases. Proverbs says, if you have envy, it'll rot your bones. You will be someone with no structure, no spine. Here's what envy is. It's different than coveting, and it's different than jealousy. I cannot be jealous for something that does not belong to me. Right? If it belongs to me, I can be jealous of it. I can be jealous of my wife's time. My wife can be jealous of my time. But here's the thing. I can't be jealous of something that doesn't belong to me. I can be envious of it. I can covet it. And covet's it, I just wish I had it. Envy is, I wish I had it and I wish you didn't have it. And I will do whatever it takes for you to not have it. And oftentimes, many of us feel this and envy is a little high EQ because we don't verbalize it. We just feel it from within. And the Hebrew people said that you, you could give someone this envy evil eye by just staring at them. 
If you ever seen like a little baby who just gives you the stink eye, that's the equivalent of it. Just staring you down. And here's the truth. For so many of us, we, we are envious of what our neighbor has. We're envious of our, our neighbor who got a promotion. And underneath that is a scarcity that we believe that there's not enough good to go around. And so we feel like we are in a war to get it. And so when somebody else has good, we gotta take it from them, or we gotta cut them down, or we gotta bring them down. And it's dangerous. Slander, slander's just lashing out and just telling the stories. And I think we gotta really, really prevent ourselves from doing that. The only false narratives that are okay is when you talk openly and honestly about Buckeye fans. That's the only kind, okay? Other than that, not okay. And so here's the deal. You gotta ask yourself, when you get triggered, what stories do you tell? What stories do you tell? Are they stories that are grounded in scripture? Are they stories that are actually true to someone's Imago Dei? Or are you making sweeping, generalizing statements about another person, another person's race? It gets really, really dangerous. And deep within, it might be a sign that God's trying to show you that there is some healing that he wants to do in your story so that your pothole does not become a sinkhole. The fourth place that you can go is that you can return to God. When you get triggered, you have that decision not to be ignorant, but in all things to be holy. Look what Peter says. Read yourself of malice and evil, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, but like newborn babies, that's, that's humbling. Like newborn babies, that's who you are. Crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Here's what he's saying. When you find yourself dependent on God, when you crave his word and you crave his spirit, you crave his presence, then you know what can happen? Salvation can grow up within you and you can taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is what can happen. Because back in the Old Testament, holiness was about what you did. You follow the right laws, the right rules. But here's the beauty. In the New Testament, after Acts 2, with this Pentecost and the gift of the Holy Spirit, holiness came from the work of the Spirit. It was called sanctification. Peter even alludes to it in verse 2 of chapter 1. And the sanctifying work, it's where the Holy Spirit begins to do a work in you to make you whole, to make you holy. And when you find yourself at a place where your hands are open, your life is open, the Spirit of God can do a work in you. Friends, I'm here to tell you that spiritual maturity begins with surrender. And when you surrender yourself, when you get triggered, and you allow the Spirit of God to do a work in you, you will become whole. And you will become holy. And you will not be someone who's filled with all of these potholes and sinkholes that when people get close to you, they go, man, what is the deal with them? 
And friends, that's what I want with you. That's what I want for you. And I want you to understand that God is so kind. God's kindness is gonna lead you to repentance. God's kindness isn't gonna be to shame you. God's kindness is gonna be to heal you. God's kindness isn't gonna be to be mad at you. God's kindness is gonna restore you and renew you, remake you, and allow you to be everything he dreamed you to be. And many of us go, still, and JR spoke about this last week, if I just do this, that's religion. If I receive and allow God to do the work in me, that is the work of Jesus that wants to be alive in you. I tell you this because throughout my life, a childhood was a mess. There's a lot of drama in my family. There's a lot of drama in me. It's a lot that God has had to work on. The truth is, God's at work with all of us. None of us in this room are perfect. And every day in my chair time, I try to ask myself, hey, what's the thing beneath the thing? What are the potholes that, God, you wanna not, you wanna fill in so that they don't become sinkholes? And what are the sinkholes that I'm avoiding? And one recently, maybe a few years ago, came up, I joined Willow's staff almost six years ago. And I grew up in Southern California. And this will feel very like weird, I'm sure, to some of you, but let me just say it. Um, growing up in Southern California, everything was dictated by style. From a young age, I was immersed in what to wear, what labels not to wear, what brands stood out, what, what labels you wanted on your chest to identify you. And I knew that. Image was everything. And on the outside, that's what I was taught. And then you find yourself getting up on stages and you're communicating and you are in front of people and you make a pastor's salary and so you're like, oh man, I, all my money is basically going to food, mortgage, and clothes. And you start thinking about it. I gotta make sure I, I look okay. And this for many years in my 20s was in the back of my brain and I would spend 10, 15% of my mind, headspace thinking about it. It was gross, and I didn't know how to shake it. It even led me into some credit card debt. There's finally a moment where God was saying, this you might think is a pothole, it's leading you into debt, that's a sinkhole. It's leading you into making you look like your identities and what you wear, what is going on? And the more I spent time in God's word and the more that I spent time with Jesus, I felt like God was saying, I wanna heal you of this. I joined Willow's staff and they got services on Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night. And like, you're up in front of people all the time. And I was like, I don't have a big enough closet for this. And so I, I remember just praying and bringing that before God saying, please help me. And at the same time, I was reading a book by Johnny Cash, The Man in Black. And he was talking about why he wore black. And the reason he wore black is because it was a relatable color, it was human. He never wanted to seem flashy. He just wanted to be every guy's guy who is in dire need of grace. And I thought there was something beautiful about that. And so I just started like kind of journaling about that. And I remember 
also reading about Steve Jobs um, and some other leaders, Jim Harbaugh, um, other great leaders. And they, they wore the same thing. They had a uniform. And you begin to study, why do they have a uniform? And every one of them would say, because I can spend 10 to 15% more of my energy not wearing, worrying about what I need to wear, but focusing on what I need to do. And in my time of prayer, I felt God just impress on my heart, what if instead of worrying about what you were going to wear, you could spend that extra 10 to 15% praying for your congregation and prepping for your talk, because I guarantee your talk needs it. And I was like, done. I guarantee if you go to willowcreek.tv and you watch the messages, this is all I wear. I don't care anymore. And, and, I, and I tell you this, simply put, is this. I was triggered, and for so long, culture told me to do this, this, and this. And then I started going deep with Jesus. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't wanna live in this way anymore. Help me. Heal me. And God began to do a work in me. Now, my brokenness is different from other people's brokenness. I'm not saying every one of you need to wear a uniform. I'm not saying that. But for me, it was healing. And what I want you to understand is God cares about the broken areas of you. And if you trust Jesus, and if you trust God, and if you actually believe the fullness of grace, then you will surrender every part of your life to him. Not just your salvation, but all of the parts of your story, the brokenness, the trauma, the addictions, the struggle, the pain, the wounds, the potholes, and the sinkholes, and you will ask him, please heal me. And if you don't, then anybody who gets close to him, they're gonna trigger you and you're gonna run into hiding, run towards insecurity, or tell yourself narratives, and we have a choice to be holy in all we do. And holy in all we do means we must do the work to trust God to be holy. So the thing beneath the thing, it's an acronym. When you get triggered, you can go into hiding, you can go into insecurity, you can go into telling narratives, or you can turn to God. And the unforgettable message I want you to know is the most Deep people I know with Jesus, they don't just live at the surface. They keep getting to the thing beneath the thing. What triggers you? Where do you hide? When you're insecure, what, what kind of posture and mask do you wear? What stories are you telling about family members or coworkers or people in our world today? And what prevents you from turning to God? And I don't know where you are on the journey today, but I want you to know that God is a God that you can turn to, a God that you can run to, a God, even if you just begin to move towards him, he will run towards you and he will want to pour out his love and his grace and his mercy on you. On the pastors here at Northridge, if you're watching online or at Brighton or Grosseal, I want you to know all you need to do is you can take out your phone and you can text Northridge to 31, 31, 31. And if you wanna make a decision, or you wanna learn more about Jesus, you wanna understand more about grace, or you have questions, throw it out there. 
And one of the pastors, and they would reach out to you. I guarantee you they're not gonna show up at your house. They're not gonna text you too much. They're, they're just, what they wanna do is be able to help you take that next step. But Northridge, I want you to know how much God loves you, how God favors this church, and may you be a congregation that's not afraid to get to the thing beneath the thing. Amen? Amen. Can we stand for closing prayer? After the service, there'll be some pastors down front who would love to pray with you if you need some more prayer, but let me just pray for you. God, it is an honor to be here. God, your spirit is moving in this place. And I pray that we would not be a, a church, a people, disciples of you and your son, who when we get triggered, we react. Lead us not into sin or into brokenness and into hiding. Lead us not into insecurity, puffing ourselves up and being arrogant or false humility. Prevent us from telling stories, but let us be people who can return to you to get healing and restoration and renewal. God, I pray that you would pour out your blessing on Northridge. Bless my friends, keep them, be gracious to them, shine your face upon them and grant them peace and God will give you all the glory and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much, guys. No sacrifice can now 